2: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamant. And this is TalkArt.
0: Welcome to Talk Art.
2: Hi, how are you, Rob? I'm good. I'm alive. Well, so am I. I
0: know, but I'm feeling, like, really alive today. Tell us why. Because I was in hospital, like, what? for ages. Yeah, I was really sick. I didn't know that. Yes, you did, <laughs> you <laughs> evil witch.
2: You why was you know in that. hospital, Rob?
0: Uh, I had meningitis.
2: Oh, God. But I
0: survived. And the interesting thing is, I've been on the Meningitis Now website, that's the charity, and um, so many people our age actually have it. Like, um, that... Really great TV presenter. Lisa Snowden. Lisa Snowden had right. it, and she's an ambassador for it. And actually, our guest today, I think her daughter even had it um, not did, that long ago. did indeed.
2: Yep. But, <laughs> sh- sh-
0: sh- I love it when our guests. Start, start <laughs> when our guests pipe in. So, um, anyway, I'm alive. I'm feeling really happy. <laughs> Good.
2: Are you still feral? Are you passing it?
0: Feral. Oh, <laughs> yeah, are you Where passed would it Rob on Diamond to us. Feral? Or? Feral? <laughs> it's so mean uh, everyone writing and complain Thank yeah you. Do, do so our guest today is someone that i have known pretty much since i started going to the galleries um maybe when i was like 22 23 early 2000s and um she's someone that always made me feel very very welcome and it was at a time when i was a bit nervous i used to turn up at like maureen paley or white cube or all these shows the approach uh galleries like that and in london and i would always be a bit nervous because i felt like everyone was a bit cooler than me and mm. um I still hadn't made friends yet. And Louisa was somebody that I would often bump into. And she was always so friendly, Mm. so enthusiastic, and um, had a similar kind of joy about art that I myself have. And I Mm. get a bit carried away sometimes and can be very like, I love you, I love you to artists. Mm. Um, But I feel like Louisa also has that um, kind of energy.
2: Yes. Well, I feel exactly the same. I mean, when I first met Louisa, she just felt very made me feel very included and very inclusive and and she's uh, always been present and she's always been a part of it and it's been incredibly exciting to have her kind of hand-holding throughout our, our journey through the art world and when we first met we're actually here now with our Books called "Owning Art," which was our little bible. I know. uh, Kind of, we used to talk about
0: it all the time. Yeah, and even the design of the book, I really loved because it was this kind of like linen cover, grey cover. It was very like classily designed. I really like it. It's
2: just basically a bible of like how to get into the art world, how to own and collect art, why people collect art, with uh, quotes from artists and galleries and critics and other collectors, and it's just. A phenomenal book that we kind of lent on a lot.
0: And the thing was, as well, like when you're first getting into the art world, we didn't really know if you could ask questions or, or you know, it was all a bit mysterious. Yeah, that's right. And I felt like the book gave you lot of don't want to look stupid.
2: It's a book that it, a lot it, of answers. It isn't elitist. Exactly, I think, yeah. I think I think our guest is not elitist and very uh, yeah, welcoming to inclusive. anybody and really wants people to own art and collect art and be part of this world and enjoy art and not in a level where you need to be hyper- um, theoretical about everything that you're seeing. Yeah, it's yeah. it's uh, she's uh, she's she's very eager to talk. <laughs> so anyway. she's, well, she's she's a regular contributor to the uh, art newspaper with her blog called uh, The Buck Stopped Here, and she's also a critic for the Telegraph,
0: and is often seen on BBC TV. Yes, and, when, and was even a judge of the Turner Prize in two thousand and five.
2: Like, two thousand and five, when Simon Starling won, and uh, we're going to ask her about that. But we're very 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 honoured, and very excited to invite and. Uh, introduce Louisa Buck. Louisa Buck,
0: welcome. Oh,
3: thank you. I'm sitting here wiping away my tears <laughs> after <laughs> that. That's that's lovely. <laughs> no, I think you're right there. The art the art world is such a sort of butt-clenchingly status anxious place yes. that you know you kind of forget, or people often do forget, that it's the art that matters. Yes. You know, yeah. never mind about the parties and whether you're on sitting next to so-and-so or invited yes, to whatever. Yes, yes. It's the art and the artists as what what makes us love it so
2: much do you come across uh, like young collectors like us a lot have you seen people over the years that have been quite green and then
3: it's changed so much. You know, when I first came into the art well, when, you know, dinosaurs roamed the earth. <laughs> in
2: the eighth... Oh, with a cave painting. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah There's yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice new earth cave paintings. <laughs> no, but you know, just a little bit after that, in the kind of early 80s, it was very different. It was a tiny, you know, progressive art was a tiny, tiny world. It crossed over with club life. We had the near Natures, We had Grayson Perry. We mm-hmm. had, you know, young artists in squats. Mm-hmm. Then there was the listen gallery lot, all being kind of, you know, niche Kapoor-ish and and but they were relatively young then too. Got it. And that was kind of it. There was a couple of galleries on Cork Street, Maureen Paley is pretty much the only one. Wow. And, you know, it was tiny. So there weren't collectors as such. People bought art, people bartered for art. The prices weren't that high. Yes. It was a really different
2: scene. Do you think it was more based on true passion for what it was like? You know, like it's like they say artists have to make art. That's what they have to do. And if that, that time feels to me, nostalgia-wise, like that is a situation. Whereas now... Maybe because it's a commodity, inverted commas, that... It doesn't feel like it has that drive as much. Like if people were struggling as much now as they were seen to be then, would they still be making the art that they would be making now?
3: I think it's so difficult to tell because I mean, I came in just pre YBA, mm. so yeah, it was wow. very bloke in, old bloke in suit, yeah. Cork Street artists waited to be discovered with a sort of you know finger pointing from the sky, you mm-hmm. know, with a wow. pinstripe sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was it was really very elitist, very male, very snobby, mm-hmm. um, you know. And then you had this you had this whole kind of explosion of the YBAs, I mean, of course it's become a brand name, of course they don't they are MABA, middle aged British artists yeah, now, but yeah, you know, yeah. it really was very different that there were, obviously people have been doing stuff in artist run spaces before, of yeah. course people have broken through and been young, there had been young gallerists, there'd been trendy gallerists look at Robert Fraser or, mm. you know John Dumber with Indica Gallery that gave Yoko Ono her first show, there was oh, stuff really? going on before, but this whole idea that actually if you were a young artist you just went out and you bloody well did it for yourself you weren't going to wait for some bloke in a suit to kind but of... But who
2: was the bloke mm. in the suit. Who was a well, nineteen you know, people?
3: It was Anthony Doffay, Leslie Waddington, Nicholas right. Logsdale yeah. I mean, yes, you did have Maureen Paley, or Maureen O'Paley as she was then. Um, but yeah. Oh, really, yeah, 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 with her buzz cut haircut. Mm. You know, I mean, a whole different no, 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 before then. Yeah, um, you know. So it's a whole different kind. It was a very different one. That's what I'm trying to say. So yeah. young collectors, you know, young people, if they had money, bought trendy furniture, Got it. or sort yeah. of some kind of Bang & Olufsen speaker for their stereo. Sure. Art. They'd have some horrible framed poster on the wall. <laughs> you know, there yeah. wasn't. The art market, there mm. you didn't have art fairs. You had the odd weird art fair in, in Earl's Court. I remember you know the, the neo naturists and Grayson Perry having a stand on James Birch's in this Earl's Court art fair wow. and looking so weird, yeah. and sticking out like a sore thumb. It was kind of magnificent, but you know, it wasn't this art market like it is now.
2: So, this but, is pre-tape modern, this is pre-child We're talking, we're talking yeah. early
3: 80s, we're talking wow. 84, 85. Where did you come from? I mean, I came from Essex. Essex oh, girl, me, yes, yeah. where,
2: Whereabouts? Colchester? Oh, Went right, but you know, I'm County. Bromford Billericci, or well, my family's and built a ricky dicky yeah
3: exactly
2: that's me back of the four cortina
3: no i mean i was i was i was Colchester there and then i went then i went to um i went to school in london and then i went to college at cambridge and courthold institute so i had a kind of academic training right right but i very quickly realized i wasn't going to be an artist I your mum was an artist say, no mum just went to art school for a bit i'm right, right, um, just right. kind of housewife basically never right. never really did much but um Loved art, though. How um, did
2: you? How did you access that in Colchester?
3: Well, I think you know. I I met. There was a a guy called James Birch who ran a gallery in the New Kings Road and still does a bit of dealing now, but who's you know, a bit older than me. Right. And he 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 like, was around in my kind of. Group a bit in Essex, but very kind of exotic because he lived in London as well. Right. And when I came to London, I when I finished at Cambridge, went to the Courtauld, came came to London. He was running a small gallery in the King's Road. He was showing British surrealism. He was showing as Grace and Perry, the Binney sisters, all kinds of very eclectic mix of people. Luciana Martinez Godresta, who was Andrew Logan's sort of oh, yeah. secretary in alternative Miss World, her ah. paintings. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it was a very kind of bohemian world, and I thought, yes, this is what I want. I want to be around people making art. I wasn't in the, so much the in the sort of art school. Got it. world. It was more the academic world stepping into this friend of mine who ran a gallery that interconnected. Lee Barry was there, Rachel Auburn was wow. there. It was the whole kind of club life overlapping with art making and that was my kind of entry point really. Wow. And then I started working at the Tate and also working for City Limits which is the lefty version of Time Out. Yeah, I remember City Limits. And I did the arts for them for a bit and I was As a critic? As a critic right. yeah. I'm um, desperately hoping they wouldn't realise that my dad was a dodgy Tory MP for Colchester in Essex.
2: Did they find out? <laughs> They never did. You, okay. no, internet! No internet <laughs> yeah, in those days. Free internet.
3: Um, so you know, it was it was a funny old rickety existence, and you could be rickety in those days because yeah. people could you know squat. People could be, live on the dole. It was they a bit hand to mouth. It was, was much it? more hand to mouth and much right. more possible. I mean, now you know everyone has to have a four hundred jobs. You're bedecked with debt if you go to art school. Mm. The art market has exploded. Mm. If you run a gallery now. You've immediately got to do art fairs. You've got to have this kind of footfall. It's a whole different thing because the you've world got to watch has watch the auction houses. Yeah, but I'm it? not going to get too misty Eye because I no. think also it was very patriarchal. It was very elitist. Artists didn't make much money. I mean, the explosion of the art market, everybody kind of, you know, gnashes their teeth about a bit as though it's all gone so commercial and so superficial and all this. But it's meant that many more people could make a living as an artist. Make money, yeah. Many more people like you two yeah. come in to collect art. It became a trendy thing to do. Mm-hmm. I think freeze art, Fair was incredibly important, but before then, I think Tate Modern was absolutely crucial, oh my and before God, yeah. then, Sarchi Gallery in yeah. Boundary Road was yes, crucial. Yes. So it's been this kind of incremental pro- progression. Mm. But I mean, I do think you know the, the role of Nick Sorota, the role of Damien Hurst, the role of Charles Sarchi, the role of the young gallerists like Jay Jopling, Sadie Coles. It was a kind of critical mass thing that came together. Well, it's defined the point.
2: art art scene, hasn't it? Yeah. Do you think it did yeah. internationally as well? Do you think they had a massive effect on? like American art.
3: Well, ironically, what happened was actually a lot of this art that was happening in Britain in the 90s got taken much more seriously overseas than it did at home. I remember Ingle Goertz in Munich collecting it yes. and, and showing Amazing that. Collection. Amazing yeah. collection. And, yeah. so, and also more serious people as well you know, who are not so easily, not more serious necessarily, but more less easily accessible film and video work, stuff that Charles Archie didn't like, exactly. yeah. she did like. Yeah. Right. Apart from Charles Archer, there wasn't an awful lot of exposure happening here mm. beyond the commercial gallery network, but mm. Then you had also gallerists in um in, in, in New York showing um Mary Boone showing yes. showing work and and also again the British Council were really important. They had a couple of shows early on in Venice and also around the world of yeah, I remember young in, British artists yeah. before they were called YBM. But
2: of their own collection, the British well,
3: no, or, or putting on shows um in Italy and across that. with Gillian Waring. But there was an amazing Michael Gillian Lydon.
0: Waring, Tracy Emin um Oh, I can't remember who else. There was a few artists who all went to Japan,
3: yeah, with the British Council, yeah. And there, and um, there was the very maligned, brilliant show in in um in, in oh god, my brain's gone. Min- Minneapolis, I think it was. Oh um, yes, exactly. Walker Art Center. Yes, yes, which yes. okay was a bit corny because they put blown up blown up buildings on the front of the IRA, blown up buildings on the front of the on the front of the um right. catalog, and they had beefeaters apparently. People <laughs> dressed up at the private view. It was all a bit like oof, but it was nonetheless <laughs> a big explosion there. So I think you know back at home, apart from Charles Sarchin's and some mm. commercial galleries, institutionally things behind, not mm. because I think the tape were particularly anti, but because just it didn't work like that. Everything mm. had to go through committees and it was all very kind of glacial slowness. Mm. So I think when I mean, Tate Modern comes in 2000, then more big galleries come to town, London becomes a big contemporary commercial art hub mm-hmm. and then freeze happens. So I'm kind of waffling on, but you know, no, it not. was a very I kind <clears> of <throat> interesting ferment
0: and I was lucky enough to be kind of lurking around during wow. all that and seeing wow. that different world. I something you mentioned about the patriarchy. And if you, a lot of the names you mentioned there are all male, you know, even Charles Saatchi, all of this. And then when I was thinking about when I first met you um, last night, I, was, I actually started making a list of everybody in the art world that had inspired me or been welcoming to me when I joined the art world. And literally, I wrote like 35 names and they're all women. And what I find so interesting now, and I read this amazing article from 2006 where Alice Rawthorn um, interviewed all the gallerists who were in London and female. And she was wondering... She said that compared to other industries, the art world had actually become, by 2006, a place that women were able to be very successful in a way that they couldn't in other industries, particularly as a gallerist. And even though there's a big um, you know, inequality between prices of male artists and women artists in the marketplace, um, often women artists... Um, works will sell for less auction, things like that. Mm. But they were saying that galleries, you could actually be a leader. And there were many examples, you know, like Sadie Coles, Maureen Paley, Victoria Ma- Miro, Marion Goodman. Marian Goodman. Mary There's literally so many. Yes. And actually, all the people that I felt welcomed by were curators and they were all leading, like uh, Margot Heller, you know, Jenny Lomax, um, Polly Staple. It just goes on and on. And then these days, even people that inspire me now, like Vanessa Carlos, they're all women. Yeah. And um, why do you think that is? And, and did you find in art criticism the same Um, thing, or was it more male-led art criticism?
3: Well, I mean, apart from Sarah Kent... And I mean, I'm talking about the UK here. Obviously, yeah, many yeah. great art critics, you know, across and in America, especially. Mm. Yes. Um, but I think America was always ahead of the ahead of the game in that particular. You do think in, so in, in terms of writing and writers, right, okay. and academics, and feminism. And I mean, and there were many great feminists here. Don't get me wrong. I mean, yeah. but but I think I think you know the the, the critic thing, the newspaper thing. I'm, I'm thinking you know, that it was still very blokey, apart from Sarah and me. Now it's much more of a mixed mixed field um, in the mainstream journalist world. I would still say though. It's only very recently that you've got, <clears throat> um, you know, Maria Balshaw, Francis yes. Morris at the very top, top of yeah. the institutional directorial yeah, tree. Yeah, yeah. You know, it mm. was always men, and still, if you look across the world at the great institutions, the great museums, it's still very male dominated. But yes, you're absolutely right. There are many, many female galleries, and actually, were also Iliana yes. you know, very sort of, yes. I mean, pine, <clears throat> excuse me, pioneering pioneering women. And I mean, I can't. I think perhaps it's because it's it's a tricky one i mean i think it becomes like a sort of family the gallery thing too and i think there's a sort of there's you know there's a sort of matriarchy within that and i think right on the other hand, the art world is very unsympathetic towards people having children, and I do think it's very. I mean, I've got three, Still. and it's really hard. Well, it's just logistically really hard, mm. you know. It's a punishing old. I think any big business is, and the art the art, the art world has become a huge business. But you know, one thinks well, about you have to be
2: present, don't you? You have to be present, yeah. and also
3: I think being an artist, it's really difficult to mm. be a, be an artist as a mother with with kids, particularly mm. if you've got more than one. I mean, Phila Barlow brought up her kids and then became you know then 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 hit went into the market. Yeah. I mean, she's always an artist artist. She taught. You know, she was very much practising making her work. But, you know, I think well, it's, that seems to be a trend, doesn't it,
2: with female artists as well, that they kind of, I read an article the other day about saying that female artists stagnate at a certain age and then they're rediscovered. And you look at people like Rose Wiley, and you mentioned Phil DiBalo, that later on in life, if they, if they have children, then they have to wait until they get their
3: well you know their husbands their husbands i mean i think i think in the case of philip it was sort of it was a mutual thing but you know certainly with rose you yeah. know her, she she stepped back and her husband
2: roy yeah. roy
3: made roy who's a wonderful wonderful yes, artist yes, Roy said yes. you know was was the practicing when he did the writing and yeah. the the, the mm. teaching all this i mean i think you know there's you case by case basis but i think overall yes of course it the, the, the art world is very much now you know a female a large female presence is within it and women operating within it. Mm. I think if you drill down a bit deeper, I think I don't want to go into the whole sort of child thing too much, but I think it is a tricky one if you mm. if you've got a family. Right. And I think also you need to look as well you're right Rob about the auction prices. Yes, I mean give or take a few Male artists still make immeasurably more, but also look at all the, look at the represented gallery, the artists um, by the commercial galleries. Mm. And actually, it's very unusual. I think Sadie and a few of them are, are, are exceptions that there is even parity with women artists. Right. A male, female. So, you know, mm. there's an odd thing. Many more women than men graduate from art school, but then many more men than women actually become represented artists within the art market. Right. And that's an interesting phenomenon, I think, because mm. it's, 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 a, it's, still, it's a very difficult sphere to enter into, I think. How yeah.
2: did you balance it then?
3: Blood, sweat, tears, and opers. Um, <laughs> <Right. laughs> That's and the Carl. title of your autobiography, is it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was tricky because I was also a single mum for sixteen years. Oh, um, right. So I brought, you know, pretty much brought them up on my own. And yeah, I mean, that was it was very, very demanding. But actually, I was very lucky that my kind—I mean, not—I don't want to go into my personal life, but the ex was never a huge, let's just say, a huge wage earner. Anyway, at the best of times, you know, I mean, my my kind of single single mother life coincided over the last sixteen years, seventeen years or so. With the art market expanding, got it. So I could actually make a living. I mean, I was doing doing all right beforehand, but you know, sort of, I could I could actually up my game yeah. mm. and make a living because the art market expanded. So the art newspaper were doing the daily papers at the art fairs. Art fairs. I mean, you know, you two are too young to remember, but I remember when art fairs were these grubby little trade only affairs that <laughs> dealers would go, in little clusters, and sort of you know barter a few works and buy and sell. And a few big collectors would go to Basel, but you know, no self respect living contemporary radical artist wants to be on an art fair booth. I mean, heaven forbid. Really? And now, of course, they're gnashing their teeth if they're not. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's interesting. But anyway, the long and short was that I was able to make a living. I could go to the, go, go into the daily papers. People wanted to employ me. You know, magazines, newspapers were suddenly really interested in contemporary art. It mm-hmm. entered the mainstream. Mm-hmm. People like you started getting really interested in it. People mm-hmm. from other walks of life, mm-hmm. the theatre, music biz, mm-hmm. whatever. You know, it became something that people wanted to be part of in mm-hmm. a way that just wasn't the case before. Mm-hmm. And that made it possible for me. But now, I mean, it's been really difficult because obviously you know you can be travelling all the time, sure. that's hard you know you're juggling stuff, I mean but find me any woman that doesn't and indeed many men too but you know it is a juggly thing and maybe without sounding too naff that's also why women are really good gallerists because you do have to you know consider all sorts of different things at the same time got you've got to you know manage your artist's careers you've got to make sure they're okay, you've got to be a mentor, a supporter emotionally, creatively mm. fiscally, mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of juggling Would you take your do.
2: kids along with you to Things? Oh hell yes. And are they interested now? Oh yeah,
3: yet? yeah, completely. I mean, my daughter works for the Freelance Foundation um which is not foundation right. uh my Younger sister in art A-level and, and my bigger one certainly always always loved art I mean you've got to be careful not to overkill I'd never take them to the Venice Biennale opening that would be tantamount to child abuse you know? right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know also it's fun you know yeah, and of the great it thing is. about the art world and why we're all sitting here is that you know it's a bit like joining a cult you kind yeah. of get immersed in yes. it and your social life, your personal life yeah. everything you know you don't necessarily have to have sort of you know partners who are in the art world but you know many of my friends are in the art well, many yeah. of my friends are artists, and of course, it's tricky when you're reviewing shows. And mm-hmm. I think Adrian Soule, and a friend, the wonderful or... Guardian art critic, said, yeah. No conflict, no interest. You know, I mean, there is yeah, a you're yeah. all constantly redrawing your lines in the sand because it's a very complex, interconnected world. Yeah. It's also unregulated.
0: I was going to say that so, you know, because that's one of the things that in the article I think Maureen said was that she thinks because it's the last unregulated industry in a way and it hasn't been. Set up in some ways these days by men. Like it's just, it's kind of, you can do whatever you want. There's no rules in a sense. And therefore, whereas other industries have often have histories of being set up in a certain way by patriarchal, you know, system or whatever. Um, Do you mean critically? I found that quite interesting. Well, just, the art world is just unregulated.
3: Well, I mean, mean, it's unregulated. Yeah, no, Rob means absolutely, literally stuff goes on in the art world that would be completely illegal anywhere else. Mm. You know, market building, Mm. insider trading, Mm. the fact that, you know, everything, even when an artist is, you know, brings in millions of pounds to a gallery, it's on a handshake. There are Mm. very few legal binding contracts, which Means, of course, an artist can walk. Yeah. I mean, this happens a lot in the art world. That yeah. you know, a gallery, a smaller gallery, will, will will find an artist at art school, bring them on, support them, and then you know, just as they're on the cusp of really making making it big in the art scene, you know, a larger gallery will just come along and pluck them away. Mm. And off they'll go to you know a much much larger mega gallery. Is when, that
2: changing then? Is, can you see a change in that? Because that has been that a, has been the case. But the also, trend recently. But what's, like recently, isn't but what's
3: it? interesting is that that does happen. Um, and then of course you know because but then it can be tricky also with the gallery there's a smaller gallery either you get the fact that one larger more prominent artists might be, you know, getting all the attention that the other artists also mm. need. Yes. Or reciprocally you get the fact that the larger artist is actually bankrolling the enterprise and Got feeling it. resentful about that. On the other hand, you're right, you're right though that, that Russell there is, there is a slight change in that some artists actually now want to have a bit of both. They want perhaps the high end mega gallery managing their career, and but the also but they want also exactly they want to be in a smaller space. Mm. Like say Vanessa Carlos, mm. the mm. wonderful founder of Condo, mm. fantastic. Galleries yeah. um, who, you know, has, has, some, has some fantastic artists who, who are also doing big stuff elsewhere, but they like the sense of being able to be with their peers, yep. you know, <clears throat> show, show with a gallery that's very sympathetic to mm-hmm. their ethos, mm-hmm. um, that, that, that shows other artists, their contemporaries that mm-hmm. they respect. So, you know, I think it's a, very, it's a very mixed ecosystem.
0: And it is important, I think, if you're like a 30 year old artist or a 35 year old artist and you suddenly become massively successful, to then suddenly sort of leave all your peers and would just be so insane. I mean, it would be like just... I just think it's the wrong thing to do because then...
2: Well, there's still ambition, isn't it? I guess it comes yeah. down to how ambitious you are I and where, so, where, yeah. where you want to project yourself. And I feel like I feel like it's been tried and tested. So a lot of artists have seen that happen and then it's sort of... They've crashed and burned or they, they've gone out of favour because if they've boomed too high too quick and then people aren't interested anymore. And what's nice about staying with the boutiques is that through them, if they're inclusive and they're, they're, they like their friends and the other people on the roster, is that people... Collectors or gallerists or whoever go to see the art of their work, and then they buy proxy, see everyone else's artwork on the roster, yeah. which is an amazing thing, and that which gives them other artists. A lot, you? you've, learned, yeah, totally.
0: you've discovered loads of artists, yeah, through yeah.
2: like really loving one artist and then go into that gallery space, and then suddenly seeing, oh, cool, who's this person? Who's this person? And the best artists. I've met are the ones who are like oh if you like this then you should meet this person mm. they're my favourite artists do you know what I mean that are supporting their friends
3: yeah and the, I think the art <clears throat> overall the art world runs on relationships yes. you know I mean it really does and it runs on conversations it runs on relationships it isn't regulated so it means that people I mean there is a bad thing as I said you know artists can walk off and leave a gallery So sort of going god I've you know, spent 20 years supporting yeah. this person they've gone or on the other hand you know an artist can have a bad a fallow period mm. and, and you know if they're with a gallery that is not so sympathetic they might get the heave as well, yes, I mean, yes, it's, it's and there's no real protection there. But by and large, the fluidity I think is why we all love it. Mm. It is based on relationships. It is based on on artists recommending other artists. A really good gallery, galleries that have lasted a long time, like the Listen mm. Gallery, like Maureen, like Sadie Coles, is because the galleries will listen to their artists, yes. and artists will recommend other artists. Yeah. Artists will bring other artists in, mm. and a really good gallery will encourage, will actually be collegiate with other galleries. Mm. Also, and that's mm. happening more and more, particularly it when it yeah. gets time. And tighter. Yeah. I think, particularly in that very middle bit of the sandwich. You know, you've got yeah. the high end, you know, corporate kind of guys who are like almost global franchises, and they just roll along in like a multi sort of you know, huge, huge industry. Then you've got the very small artist run spaces, but you've got a big wedge in the middle yeah. Yeah. Of, of, of galleries who are, you know, really struggling. And actually, they do become collegiate, and their yeah. artists are collegiate because we're all human beings. We're all social. You know, it was sweet what you said to begin with about me. But I just feel like anybody who loves art, it's a broad church. There's room for all of us. Too. Yeah. And let's yeah. not get all all proprietorial and protective it's like writers you know the more Mm -hmm. art writers are the better you don't want someone actually nicking your job obviously but you know you you want to recommend people and spread the love basically because you know we'd all be making much more money doing something else probably Mm -hmm. we do it because we love it Mm
0: -hmm. hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot So something that you did in 2005, you were a judge on the Turner Prize. Mm -hmm. And the Turner Prize to me has always been this very... it was something that I used to sort of look to, you know, when I was learning about art to sort of see, it's almost like a kind of gold star or something, isn't it? Um, and each year you have four artists and often the, the shows used to be at the Tate, didn't they? Yeah. Um, but these days they actually travel. And I think this September it'll be in Margate where our new gallery is. Very yeah. exciting. Okay. But the year you did it, you had one of my all time favorite artists who's Gillian Carnegie. Well, I yes. love her paintings. Me so much. Me too. And she's incredible. And, and it, who else did you have? You had Simon Starling. Simon Starling
3: won it. Um, it was, it was Darren Armand, uh Gillian wow. Carnegie, uh, Ma, uh Jim Lambie that's yeah, it was those four. It was four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. four. Yeah, that four. Yeah, great As, four. That's, that's why my memory so, it seems so long ago now. And it was yeah. kind of a different time a bit. I mean, the Turner Prize, I actually, you only get asked to judge it once. It's like right. one of those
2: things. Thank oh, you. do you? I didn't know that. Yeah,
3: I mean, well, maybe maybe they'll start ro- rotating us <laughs> around
2: <you know>, the <laughs> so And it is, it is
3: kind of a blessing and a curse. But obviously, it's nice to get asked and you feel like, you know, woohoo, thank you very much. But yeah. actually, I turned it down a couple of times before then because I really hated the fact that until it was either my year or the year before, the the winner got it all. Nobody got anything else at all. Whereas now there's a chunk of money, not very much, a few thousand mm. pounds that each of them gets to put the show on. Because oh. actually it's a big gig. You know, got suddenly it. telling an artist with very short notice that they've got to put on this kind of you know big career defining show yeah. at Tate. Of course they say it's a sample show, and of course you know on the on the on the rules of the Tate on the rules of the Turner Prize. It's awarded on the strength of a show that the artist had anywhere over yeah. the last
2: twelve months. But
3: of course, they've got to do a good show at, at the Tate or, at Tate or wherever it is. It's been in yes. Hull, it's been in Northern Ireland, it's
2: been a, a lot Lowe of the time. It's, it's the work that had come from that defining show that they got nominated for that yeah. gets put in there, right? Well,
3: kind of. But they've also some quite a lot. They quite a lot of the time, you know. A, it may not be possible, and B, they want to make a good show because artists don't really want to just regurgitate their old stuff. They no. want to do something new and something, yeah. you know, something that's going to be good or at least mm-hmm. something that's going to make a good show. And of course, then you've got the other problem where you you've got these four artists who are chosen by a jury, of highly subjective jury. I mean, without giving away too many state secrets, um, but I will anyway, who cares? It was so long ago. I mean, I was a huge fan of Julian Carnegie. And, uh, and actually, once I got her on the shortlist, I mean, I really respected and admired the other artists as well. And I was very happy that they were there. Yeah. Mm. And I was happy with the shortlist. Actually, who won it, as far as I was concerned, was neither here nor there, really. Mm. It was more getting a good shortlist that I felt proud of, yes. each of them. Yeah. And Darren had done this amazing show, the Auschwitz bus stops, oh, yes. which was that extraordinary Show of getting the real bus stops, from Auschwitz and installing yeah. them, and it, his work is so much about time and journey yeah. and memory. And it was just the most. I mean, I sadly, didn't put those in the in the final show tape, mm. the, the Turner Prize. But anyway, that was that. Um, Jim Lambie was doing those amazing, you know, the, the floors and all incredible yeah, assembled floor, work. And yes, yeah. and, the, and also the work with the with with the found with belts and yeah. paint and wall hangs. So that was really good. Simon Sign's always been a really interesting artist about that sort of wonderful, extraordinary journey to get the artwork at the End and often it sort of goes through many different incarnations, both physically and conceptually. And then there was Gillian, who's just the most wonderful painter. And yeah. I've just seen these extraordinary paintings at the Cabinet Gallery. and Were they the bums? They were bums and also monochromes, big dark monochromes of wood forest yeah. that you could barely see except when the light caught them and you could see all these different textured brushes. That's so incredible. And that amazing, well. um, the, the work that she goes back to again and again and again of the of a, of a, of a bunch of dead flowers basically yeah. in a chopped off mineral water bottle. I mean like how you know, low rent is that? Rotting away, drying away in her, in her studio space. that She's painted repeatedly in different mm. styles and that all sounds a bit kind of meh when you're talking about it because that's the thing about art, you've got to see it. Yeah. But she really is extraordinary. And the other jurist didn't really know how work very well and hadn't really seen, but sort of felt they should have done. Yeah. So I really did storm, storm a bit of a bomb to get her. And, and they, they all agreed. It was great that she yeah, got yeah, on the yeah, shorts. Yeah. And I was so happy. Mm-hmm. I would like to, to have won it, but sadly that was,
0: wasn't was quite happy. Me too, <laughs> actually. But actually, I mean, they're, they're <laughs> but he's, all they're, great they're all good, artists, exactly. Yeah. So I
3: didn't really mind once, yes. once that happened. But the way it all works, I mean... Now I think the Turner Prize has become one prize amongst many. It's there's, there's new contemporaries, there's Hugo Boss, there's there's many more shows, there's many more. There's the John Moores Prize. It's just I don't know. It just all seems to be more sort of fluid. It's not such a massive big deal. Right. It doesn't get so much media coverage but in the old days anyway I, I went rambling off but I, I, I didn't want to do it a couple of times before because they didn't get the they didn't get the, a, a chunk of money which was actually a really big deal because if you're represented by a big gallery then you can immediately have a lovely show at Tate and it's all mm. fine but if mm. you don't if you're not if you maybe don't have any representation at all mm. or you know you, your gallery is, is, is overseas you're a bit like a lamb to the slaughter at the time. Yeah, it's, it's not right. a you level playing field to it's, it's too
2: exposing yeah. then isn't it exposing it's, you're yeah. not
3: get, getting the support and also in my day it was still sponsored by Channel 4 so you know all these artists would have to be I mean, Tate were a bit naive about it. They didn't realise that Channel to be media Four media trained. To yeah, be, yeah, I mean, Channel Four needed Tate as much as Tate needed Channel Four. Yeah, but Channel yeah. Tate was I think so kind of overwhelmingly grateful that Channel Four was <laughs> giving them all this profile <laughs> that the artists were kind of slightly flung in yeah, yeah. to doing, like, having camera crews in their studios. And you know, how, you know, how, well, you of all people, Russell, know how intrusive you know mm. Telly is and cameras and all that. And I mean, you know, if you're an artist, that's
0: not part of your gig. It may be, mm. but it may well you know not what be. I found quite interesting actually doing this um podcast is that there's certain artists that I thought would have just come on straight away and they actually say they hardly do any audio or video interviews like there's two or three mm. who I didn't even realize they never they've never really done any they only do um you know like magazine articles which i find so fascinating these days i love that though about them i was like that's so cool do that you can actually not do a you know, a video, you audio,
3: but also, yeah. you know,
0: back back in my day, I mean, artists didn't really, you know, it wasn't
3: part of the remit. You didn't have to, if you, if you, know exactly, if you were successful as an artist, mm. I mean, I'm doing parentheses here because successful, I mean, kind of profile wise, because yeah. obviously, there's many different forms of artistic success. success yeah. Um, but, but you know, if you became a relatively high profile person, I mean, someone like Grayson Perry or Tracy, I mean, you know, loved it, were really good at it. Mm. That was it, but someone like Rachel Whiteread, perhaps, who isn't, you know, I mean, she's a fantastic artist, but yeah. you know, her idea of a good laugh is not sitting here chatting about her art you know she'd and actually if you think friends, about but, you know, yeah, if
0: you think about like Gillian Waring or artists Gillian, like that yeah. I mean I think they actually all make their work as a way of communicating with the world yeah. so their way of them talking is their work Absolutely. therefore they don't need to talk about Absolutely. their work do you know what I mean
3: like their work speaks to itself. Speak and that's themselves. why yeah. it's one of the favourite things that I do actually is to interview artists and I think it's such a privileged part of my totally, job yeah. to be able to go and talk to artists and you know i just done a great interview with Georgie Hopton who's got a show oh, coming cool. up I did a show with Linda LIND Der wonderful no, yes, the yes, wonderful yes. Linda modern who at uh, modern up. art gallery yeah. you know I mean very, very different artists wonderful artists you have know, I've interviewed so many in my time and you know it's such a
0: privilege and a treat to be able and that's to actually why talk. I love being a gallerist. like I went from music to being a gallerist simply because I loved being around artists
2: all right and I a love that gossip.
0: supporting thing yeah so, so
3: who's
2: your favorite who's, who's your been the best interview? who's been the worst
3: what do you mean interview yeah, yeah interviewee. Oh, definitely the worst was Julian Schnabel. Really? Oh, why? God, just <laughs> so rude. I mean, really? beyond rude. We didn't meet. It was on the telephone. Right. He was obviously on the telephone. It was those days when you had a sort of, you know, fistful of blackberries, you know. So he was obviously <laughs> wow. kind of talking to about three different people at the same time. It was actually about a show that he had. Oh, God, I can't remember what it, was now. it? Was, it was in some Mayfair gallery. He had a show of his of his work. Um,
2: the plates, was it? It like was,
3: it was, was the X-ray. Years. It was the X-ray plates. But also it was around the time of the Diving Bell on Butterfly that he right, directed, right, right, right. which was a brilliant film, yeah. Yeah. You know, and I was yeah, so, yeah, ex- yeah. and I thought, my God, he may be a total twat, but you know, boy, <laughs> can he can he direct? Can he direct a movie? Yeah. And actually, the Basquiat film he did was was, was yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 it was okay. You I know, and anyway, so that was that was that. So, but he was so rude. I mean, so you know, either accept to do the bloody interview or don't. Mm. You know, um, but don't then just give one word answers. And you know, I'd really quite care. I always swat my interviews and quite carefully planned it. And it was on the phone, which is not. As easy as being face to face but sometimes weirdly it's better being on the phone because it sort of focuses you're in the zone you're not having social life you're not sort of fretting about your tape recorder or your mm-hmm. whatever and sort of mm-hmm. looking for the cup of tea or whatever mm-hmm. but anyway with him it was an absolute disaster he was rude he was really quite obviously didn't want to do it um, What's talking an example? um an I don't know what, what kind of questions is that? I didn't really hear you properly well, can you repeat that and I was like yeah sure blah, blah, blah. and then you know, I, I can't remember that was years ago but it was just a really unpleasant experience You know, I just thought oh wow. god what a nightmare I've also, and I won't name names here, but I had a couple of artists who've been absolutely pissed when I've interviewed them. So really? I've got rambling... <laughs> Oh, rambling. oh okay, so not like
2: really elusive it, nice, No, no, nice, no. Nice, I nice mean strong.
3: delightful and charming, but not making any sense. But I will tell you about <laughs> one of the worst interviews I ever did, which is so funny, it taught me such a great lesson. It was a great interview, but it was a great encounter, but a terrible interview. It was with Leo Costelli, the really? late, great legendary oh gallerist. Yes. You wow. know, I mean the king of he launched pop art, yeah. and, you know, Rational There he was, this legendary figure. It was early on. I did it for the second edition of Freeze, so you can you know see how long ago that was. And off I, I was in New York. Anyway, and I met him, and he was absolutely charming. I mean, he was in his eighties by then, but beyond late seventies, beyond charming, immaculate, dapper, obviously adored women. Took me out for—I was in my late twenties, early thirties, whatever. He took me out for lunch, and we chatted, and he was just delightful. I had my tape recorder going, and we talked and we talked, and it was just loving. I went away just glowing with kind of excitement and joy and happiness. Listen to the tape. Listen. To, listen to the interview. And... He just asked me about myself. He just, he, you know, every time I talked to him, every time I tried to ask him about something about himself, he just very elegantly and beautifully kind of slid it off somewhere else or really didn't answer any question at all but it'd been so charming that I'd been completely bedazzled. Spellbound. Completely, <gasps> spellbound, completely right. spellbound. Completely charmed. Thank God they'd been a rather good Calvin Tompkins um, New, York, New York Times profile. I did a bit of plundering from there and a bit of plundering from that. And, we, and I, I did actually kind of have a little chat with him on the but telephone also, as well. Probably, but, but it was such a good that's, lesson that's to I me. That's almost like basically.
0: who he was. Exactly. So in a way, like the Psychology behind it is so like so He's did, completely amazing at
3: uh, making and, you and feel and good, and I did, and I did. I got enough from it, but you know, it was it just made me laugh. I thought, oh my god, this is such a good lesson that you know you are not there to make friends. Yeah. Right. You are not there because I just want everyone to love me and kind of hug everybody, yeah, and yeah, yeah. all that. And yeah, yeah. and he made me feel completely loved, adored. He was so, I felt so interesting. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so funny. <laughs>
3: and I mean, it was just you know, I I, I I was the interview was okay, the profile was fine, it was okay. But you know, I just I learned a very good lesson then. Just you know, you ask the question. And also, shut up. As you can tell, I do love to talk. No. Um, (laughs) You, really? Let them speak. So many interviews I've done where there's been, you know, the artist talking about something really interesting and I chime in with some hilarious thought of my own or sycophantic laughter or, you know, it's like, shut up, Buck. Let let them talk. so funny
0: you've just reminded me that I was in Venice years ago during the Biennale with Maureen Paley and we were walking through St. Mark's Square and we bumped into Norman Rosenthal I'm just going to name drop now this is uh, a yes, very silly lovely story. Norman Storm and Norman so, and he just curated a show for Julian Schnabel and it was in that amazing like palazzo thing off the main St. Mark's Square yeah, yeah. so Maureen was like oh I haven't seen the show yet when's it opening and he was like oh tomorrow why don't you just come in now we go in Julian's there like looking at the installation with Leonardo DiCaprio his girlfriend at the time who was some actress I've forgotten her name oh. Uh, Blake Lively, oh, right. she was off Gossip Girl or something, yeah. and then Naomi Campbell and Naomi Campbell's Russian boyfriend, and we were just stood there, and I was like, "What am I doing here?" And Stella then, Street, and then no, but he he just arrived, and he was showing his friends around the show, so we walked around the whole show with him doing long speeches about each painting with Naomi Campbell and Leonardo DiCaprio. It's from the weirdest moment. What was them. he saying? Anything interesting? I don't think I can't was, remember. You did, see? Yeah, isn't that telling? Yeah, <laughs> uh, um, but Maureen and I we just kept looking at each other, thinking like, "Why are we here? We'd literally go and gone for That's lunch or something." The yeah. up and up we is so
3: far. Venice, so weird. Venice so you do have some weird stuff in Venice. I remember once um, in the old days in Venice, everybody now goes to the um oh god, what's the hotel? They all go to the the,
2: the Dan uh, is it? Or no, it's the not the Daniele. Daniele. No, no, oh. no. There's
3: one the 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 hotel bar, the hotel, oh, yeah. buyer, hotel yeah. Everyone yeah. ends up on the terrace at the yes. bar now. So wherever you've been, you end up on the terrace at the bar. In my in the old days, it was Haig's Bar, which was in a sort of behind <laughs> the behind wow. behind the uh, I think it was behind the Gritty Palace, but it was a big square basically with a, a little tiny bar, and everyone filled up the square and, and, and chat, 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 and so everybody ended up there. So wherever you'd been, you know you. Always Ended up there, which is quite good for the status anxious and the FOMO because you always knew everybody would end up there anyway. Yeah. Anyway, I was dying for a pee as usual. And there's a long <laughs> queue. And in the end, i in the end, I get to the toilet, one toilet with this enormous crowd of people, and I'm shaking the door and shaking the door. And I, Come on, because it was hours. This person was there, and I opened the door and out comes Shaka Khan. No! <laughs> <laughs> and I think Shaka Khan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she didn't look very didn't look very <laughs> amused. I think there'd been some big um big gala for, for Derek Jarman, and she'd been there with Liz Taylor and they'd, they'd been wow. there. But I just thought, you know, only oh, in Venice world. Yeah, do you yeah, rattle yeah. a toilet? <laughs> At door and out comes Shaka,
0: Shaka. Khan. Brilliant. Shaka, Shaka played live a few years ago in Miami about four times. I kept... Si- every event I went to, she was white, singing well, at was The White Cube. Yeah, the bars in Miami. Right, white right, Cube right. had her and then she was somewhere else. She's brilliant. Love her.
3: But that is the kind of bonkers thing. that You know, it, the on it's kind of calmed down now, but they did get, it did get to a stage where everyone was talking more about whether you got Kraftwerk playing at the German party yeah. <laughs> or Jarvis Cocker or Fat Boy Slim doing the Brit party or, you know, it was just like, oh, come on, guys. Actually, there is a bit of art knocking on the yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So when it comes to art, do you have your favourite discipline of art? Do you, are you more drawn to painting or...?
3: God, it is so difficult. You know, I mean, I... I'm a real omnivore. I mean, you've you've you know, you said that you're going to ask me some specific stuff about my fa- what my favourite X, Y, or Z was, and yeah. <laughs> it really depends on the time of day, what I'm feeling, what right. I'm seeing. I mean. You know, I love a good painting. I love a good drawing. I love a great sculpture. I love a great installation. Good. You know, I adore Martin Creed, but I also like maximal crazy work. And I would say that Martin Creed is actually very maximal in a minimal kind of way. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I mean, some of Steve McQueen's films have just moved me beyond anything else. As a son of Tassadines, but you know, it's it's very difficult for me because I kind of it's 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 whether it's good of its kind and whether it's doing doing what it should do within the medium that the artist has chosen. Yes, yes So. Yes. I can't say. Right across the board. I love it all.
2: And do you collect?
3: I mean, I don't. I I own art. Yes. Um, I have bought art. Yes. I have commissioned art. But yes. the art world has changed. A, you know, freelance journalism, you don't have much disposable income, particularly you know, single mum, three kids. But yes, I've bought lots of art in my time. Not so much now. I've commissioned art. I mean, when I was... Um, well, you wrote a book on it. Yeah, but but that's yeah and then of course I mean, there's quite a funny story about that actually because I, I Grayson Perry is an old friend from way before he became Mr. Mr., Mr. Famous successful mm. artist and when I was pregnant with my now 27 year old I said to Grayson who was then a mate not remotely known in the art world and I said make me something you know because I'm not going to have this baby it's just so extraordinary that I'm going to become a mother wow mm. um, here's a couple of hundred quid make me a plate or a mug or something he made me this enormous pot with really? me giving birth ah. all over it I mean very niche market if ever I wanted which I don't <laughs> resell it um, and I still have this treasured, wonderful, wow. great big pot with, with me giving birth. Very and you live with it. That's, that's oh yeah, it's in my bathroom so on a nice. shelf. And then wow. I've got, he made me another great plate called "The Face of a Man is My Rightful Throne," which is extremely rude, as you can imagine. <laughs> um, no, I've got quite a few. So, but that was back in the day. You know, I mean, now, 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 it's very difficult because. Because I'm quite old and all that, you know, I've known people a long time, and you know, you can't say here's a couple of hundred quid, make me mm. something when they when their market price is a mm. tele a tele an international telephone number was worth of zeros. Got it. So you know, you've got to be careful about all that. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't, but yeah, you I know, will buy works on paper. Yeah, I do. I'm do always too. doing Allied editions. at Freeze is one of my faves. Yes, or if yes. there's a you know, I mean, I, I bought a beautiful Camille Henrot work on paper from the Chisenhale yes. editions. So you and know, Studio Voltaire have got Studio Voltaire. Editions. I there's adore so and
0: Whitechapel. Yeah, I, mean, I, I bought. Um, yes, now
3: now Mont- to Chetwin, then Marvin Gaye, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chetwin from Voltaire. Yeah. So I'll do that because it's hundreds of pounds, or yeah. you know, but even that I can't really afford super much. And I don't buy it for investment or anything. I mean, but they're in, supporting in
2: my... as well, aren't they, of the institutions oh, when yeah. you buy, buy this work from Yeah, people, and it?
3: I mean, also, you know, if it's an artist that you really love, I mean, I've been lucky, artists have given me work as well, yeah, which is good, cool, you know, good for birthday presents or whatever, which is incredibly nice and mm. lovely, but you know. It's tricky because you then don't want to be selling stuff no. because that's just weird and then also it undermines everything. I mean, it is it is complicated, but I think... I mean, in, in the Owning Art, the Sober Little Grey grey fabric covered book, linen covered book. You know, the mantra is don't buy art to make money. Yes. You know, I mean, yes, you can make a huge amount of money. And nowadays, of course, there's always someone with deep pockets or somebody who will flog something to mm. somebody mm. or the auctions, you know, the baton goes up. But bottom line, you're not loved in the art world. And you know this, Rob, from, mm. you know, working and being a gallerist. Yep. But, you know, you know people who've, I mean, everybody who's got a good collection will know how they're, holdings and art are appreciating or whatever of course they do and a lot of these people Mm -hmm. came out of business in the first place Mm -hmm. but you know they're not doing it predominantly for that reason. And I think that is so crucial.
0: And actually, there's an amazing quote in the book from Barbara Gladstone. Mm-hmm. Weirdly, her quotes in your book are like the ones that really resonate with me, probably well, because so... I'm a gallerist, but she's so eloquent. She's so smart. Um, so smart. But one of them just said, like, art is not a stock and should not be treated as such. And part of the problem is that people begin to talk about it like a stock. Nobody has a crystal ball and nobody can read the future. However, I would say that if a collector is really serious, does his homework, follows things in the right way and actively looks at the history of an artist and a gallery, the chances are that they're not going to lose money. But to buy art with an eye to making money, that's a completely different thing. And it's something that I just in the core of me it like repels me the idea that you would buy art to make money and I I find that so problematic and it's not even just being a gallerist I feel it just as a human being like I just don't Mm. think art you know but equally I'm selling art so it's kind of a strange but if you're an artist and you're
3: making work you know I think it would be so dispiriting I know it is because I've talked to artists about it Mm. if if their work is being bought as an investment you mm. know and it never sees the light of day it sits in some bonded warehouse mm-hmm. somewhere and never gets seen until it gets shunted off somewhere else and it's almost more re- reducing zeros.
0: the kind of soul of it you oh, know it's yeah. like it's like minimizing everything about an artwork it's well, kind of it's, it's a, the worst really. you know
3: it's the artist putting their view of the world out into the world you know I mean of course art, artists have you know been made commissioned work for millennia and all that mm. and yeah. that's that's another thing as well but you know it is there's it, an instrument of communication exactly that and a touchstone for humanity you Yes. You know, we will be remembered by our artworks, yes. not yes. by, you know, how many zeros we had in our bank account or mm. whatever. And it's, it's, it's something that's so intrinsic to our civilization. So mm. if you're kind of just using it as stock, it's just so mm. de-
0: depressing. And actually, while I was ill over the holidays, I ended up watching a lot of films, obviously. And one of the ones I watched was that George Clooney film about um, the American... Um army who went in to save all the artworks from Hitler. Oh yes, yes. um uh, what's it called? Something men?
3: The rec- the, the the, 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 what's it man? Oh god. Yeah, yeah the something men anyway. In, yes, yes um, Exactly that.
0: And it was such an interesting idea that he was trying to take all the culture Hitler was, um, you know, away from everyone, and then he wanted to have his own museum or something. It was so insane the that
3: looting. story. But it's always yeah. been it's always been the case with authoritarian regimes that they want to control culture because culture yeah. is the expression of who we are and what we are. Exactly, so you yeah. know, I find it so odd with in Russia where you know. The the constructivists were the the instrument of revolution. It was this democratic geometric forms that would then translate into manufacture. It would be you know there for everybody. And then of course Stalin says no, it's all elitist and bourgeois to have these abstract forms. We want you know great big ladies holding sheaves of corn and Mm. men with tractors. You know it's Mm. a kind of it's it's this this mode of communication is really interesting. I think
0: totally yeah. The monuments men. That's the name of the film. Yeah. um, Monday morning and my brain's not working. But I found that really fascinating. That story. no,
3: but pre- preserving it exactly that and the fact that the, the, these works were all in underground, you know, underground, underground, um, vaults. caverns and vaults yeah. and, and mines, and, mines and yeah. barns. And yeah. then they were looted. And then of course people were busily trying to stuff, trying to stuff their Rembrandt right into their rucksack. And you know, when they were, when they were plundering stuff, and these, the fact that you know these guys realised how
0: important culture was mm. and how you can't just. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Treat it like the that. other thing I found out the other day sorry I'm going a bit off tangent here is 9-11 how much art was lost in 9-11 yeah. I had no idea it was like Some crazy figure of of art that was lost because of all the corporate collections and everything. Yeah, no, I I, I didn't realize that actually, but I guess once I was thinking about the human cost. No, I know, you think about the human cost, I know. Exactly. I
3: mean, you know, having said that, I'm not not in any way wishing to belittle these terrible cataclysmic events, but, you know, culture gets lost, culture gets found, culture Mm. gets made. It's part of the kind of weft and warp of our existence. Yes. Going back right to the beginning of our conversations when you were talking about, you know, the art world when I entered it, I mean, our society has changed. You know, we've got the internet, I mean, I'm pre internet for God's sake i pre mobile
2: phone book was pre digital yeah i mean you know
3: i mean i'm, I'm very happy with that book I, I i hope it's a bit like the sort of mrs beaton's cookbook of, of no, collecting but I love art. It. it it is a sort of funny little yeah. classic thing cuz it was very much about not not what to buy but how to buy yes, exactly. but you know the world is so changed you know and and becomes global you know interconnected but you know we are all human beings and art is a human enterprise and that's why I think of course artists use the internet of course everybody now goes online and checks out websites and instagrams and hashtags everything but nonetheless nothing I would say maybe I just sound like an old dinosaur beats the encounter with an artwork directly face to face even if it's artwork on a screen you still experience it in the right kind of setting in which the artist wanted it to be seen you know rather than actually on your laptop or on your yeah
0: so um the last two questions before we um tie this wonderful interview up um our regular questions we ask all our guests one is what is your favorite color
3: that is so difficult because it changes according (laughs) to the day but it's so good today i'm wearing a flame red scarf it's a freezing cold day so that is that is my favorite color (laughs) but if i was in, in if it was the middle of the summer i'd be loving that ultramarine blue of the greek sea. so can i say both red and blue
2: please? yes you can And And the
0: other question, Russ, do you want to do that
2: The other question is, what is your art plunder? What would you try and steal if you could steal any painting and get away with it? In an art
3: heist? Well, it would be quite a big art heist because it would be Velasquez Las Meninas in in, uh, the Prado. Great! I would roll that up and take that away. That's an easy one and, to get out. Yeah. Well, I know, easy peasy, you know. <laughs> major, major um, epoch-changing artwork because it's everything. It's it's abstract. It's figurative. It's psychology. It's drama. Yeah. It's a time capsule. It's just brilliantly executed, and it's perpetually enigmatic and wonderful, and so modern while being so kind of timeless.
2: Is that a touchstone for you whenever you go there? Oh yeah, always, yeah, always. Wow. I
3: just stand there and kind of just. It's it's just the most one of the most remarkable. Things ever made, I think.
2: Wow.
0: The two things in my, I, I think that museum, the Prado, yes. is pretty much my I mean, favourite museum black in paintings the world. There of course I mean, are absolutely
3: knockout as well, literally. and the Hieronymus Bosch. Yes. I mean, you know, yeah, it's yeah.
0: a good, it's a good one-stop shop. Oh, it's but, such but, a
3: great museum. But you museum. know, there's something about that particular painting that is just so endlessly fascinating to me. Wow.
2: And are you writing any more books?
3: At the moment, I'm, I'm kind of on hold. I've got various ideas and plots, but the thing about writing books is, you know, I have a living to make, and it's very difficult because it is. It's a it's a huge enterprise. I'm confusing. doing the old doing the old journalism at the moment, yeah. um, and and doing a lot with that, and also a lot of a lot of radio and a lot of TV. So that's kind of using up my time. But I'm um, sure. I'm sure there'll be small books in the pipeline.
0: Well, Louisa Buck, thank you so much for you coming and talk art. We lo- we could it's just good. literally do a whole series with you because it's just fascinating. <laughs> oh, um, but and actually, we just interviewed Martin Creed. So you oh, should well. check that and out. And we're just about He's to have like
2: Julian Schnabel on. So <laughs> oh, yes, I better wait till you, you <laughs> send your love. Rip is just cannot. <laughs> oh, and God. here he is, Julian. <laughs> um,
0: so ev- everybody listening to this, please um, check out Owning Art. It's the contemporary art collector's handbook by Louisa Buck and Judith Greer, and it's published by Owning Art. And um, there's also a number of other books that Louisa's done, which you'll also find. I did one
3: can. on commissioning art as well, by published by and Hudson, which is another kind of handbook jobby as well. She says butting in at the end. What yeah, was the and t- that you one's... did one
2: for Tate, didn't you? What was that one?
3: Yeah, that was called Moving Targets, so The right. user's guide to British art now, but it really was British art then because it was last published in 2000. So it's, you know, the the artists are all still there, but they've done quite a lot since.
2: Got it, got it.
0: And Commissioning Contemporary Art has a beautiful orange cover. um, So that's with Tenzin Hudson, and you co-wrote it with Daniel McLean, the art lawyer. He's a
3: lawyer, and it's the same designer as Owning Art, so it looks very
2: pretty. And what's your Instagram?
3: My Instagram is at lubuck01.
2: Got it. I I looked at your Instagram, and you don't have a link to any... I know, I've got to be more clued up about all that. Got it.
0: (laughs) And right. talking of Instagram, please check out at TalkArt and you can see images of everything that we've spoken about in today's episode. Yes,
2: thank you very much. We
0: will be back very soon.
2: Yes, big love, Louise. Thank, thank you, Louisa. You. Thank bye. you, bye. You've
0: been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamant and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at TalkArt, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in this episode. Recorded at Spiritland London by Anthony Shaw and edited by Gareth Isles. Subscribe to Talk Art on iTunes and Spotify. Give us a rating and write us a comment.
1: Thanks for listening. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5.